It is lovely to be back with you. I've been away for a couple of weeks. I had the privilege of being able to go back to WA. My mother and family live in Bunbury, just south of WA, and my mother is uh, moving through dementia, and so I had a privilege of being able to spend some weeks with her and uh, care for her and the family during that time, and I'm very uh, privileged to be part of this church. I wanted to speak to you a little bit about sacrifice this morning as we look at this wonderful passage that speaks both about faith, the context is faith, but we can easily move through and look at the theme of sacrifice as well, and that is something that I want to focus on a little bit. But firstly, I want us to remember this beautiful day, as some of you would have got up early and went to Anzac services to remember those men and women who paid the ultimate price to serve our country. In World War I, we lost 60,000 Australians. And we were only a small country then. It would have had an impact right throughout. Mums, dads, brothers, sisters, cousins, uncles, nannies would have lost someone. Uh, there would have been something in every household through Australia, an enormous sacrifice, so that we can enjoy the liberties that we have today. World War II, we lost over 39,000 men and women. Korea, between 50 and 53, the years of 50 and 53, we lost 340. And on the list goes as our men and women fought in Malaya and Borneo and Vietnam as they fought, fought and lost their lives in the Gulf War, which occurred in 90 and 91. I remember that very well. I was in Bible college and convinced the Lord was coming back before I could finish Bible college. And uh, it was even more shallow then. I was thinking, oh, Lord, I did want to have a crack at ministry, but if you're coming back, come back. Now, we have people in our congregation here today who have served in Afghanistan and Iraq as those wars continued through 2001 to 2009. And uh, we thank you very much for your service. We thank you for your dedication. And uh, we just want to pray together before we look at a story that speaks about sacrifice. A story that speaks about sacrifice, not just a true story in that moment, but it's meant to shine a light down through time to the ultimate sacrifice. So let's pray together and then let's jump into Genesis chapter 22. Father, we want to say thank you for this beautiful day that you've allowed us to be part of. We wanted to pause as we have and we just want to say again, Father, we thank you for the men and women who willingly serve this country and we thank you, Lord, for their sacrifice. We thank you for those that are with us today who bear the scars of the wars that they have served in and long those scars live. And we ask for your comfort and your strength upon them. And Father, we thank you that most of all for your protection. We thank you for protecting us and keeping us. We see your sovereign hand as we look back through history. We see the powerful way that you have moved and you have been pleased to, to keep us. And we don't take that for granted. We know that we have not earned it. You have just given it to us graciously and we thank you for it. We ask your blessing on our leaders. We ask your blessing on our nation as we enter times that are really uncertain. We ask that you would help us to keep you center of our focus. We ask that you would help us to find refuge in your word. And we thank you for what you've done for us. And most of all, we thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying for us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. It's a beautiful story. Come in your Bibles to page 19. And if it's not page 19, you've got the wrong Bible. You need to get a new one. So come to page 19, Genesis chapter 22. 
And let's have a look at this beautiful story that speaks about worship. And I mentioned to you in the introduction that worship is the actual theme of this. It's, it's couched in worship. It's couched around the aspect of faith, most of all. And then we see an amazing picture of sacrifice. Abraham is the central character here with his son Isaac. And Abraham is the father of the nation of Israel, the father of faith. Abraham was a man who was born in a foreign country. And God spoke to him. Abraham was a man who was raised to worship many different gods. And yet God reached to him in an amazing way and caused him to be unsettled. Caused him to question the false worship that his father and he were practicing. And as God spoke to him in that, the Lord called him out of that land and called him into the land of Israel. And God made promises to Abraham and to his wife Sarai that they would have a child. But Abraham was getting on in years and so was his beautiful wife and from a natural point of view, far beyond the ability to be able to have children. It would have to be a miracle and a miracle it was despite Abraham and Sarah's endeavours to sort that out for God by allowing Abraham to sleep with Sarah's handmaiden and have a child called Ishmael. That was not the promised son that God had promised to Abraham. And so we see this beautiful young Isaac finally born and this miracle happens and this elderly woman who's in her 90s has a baby. Now you've only got to look at our newspapers and birth reports and there ain't too many 90-year-olds having babies these days. That would be considered to be a miracle of any case and it was a miracle during this time. But now we've moved on. Abraham, as we come to Genesis chapter 22, is not a young man anymore of 90. He's now moved to about 110 years of age. Isaac, who's pictured here in Genesis chapter 2, some commentators put him at the age of maybe 13, anyway, anyway through to 25 years of age. I tend to believe he's probably 18 to 22 years of age. And I believe that as I read the text and I see his strength and I see his posture, I believe that that is the posture and strength of someone who's a little bit older than 13. And God asks Abraham in this passage to do something that's utterly shocking, incomprehensible to us today. And yet in the midst of this, God reveals his power, he reveals his provision, he reveals his love. Abraham was raised in a time amongst false religions where to worship their false gods, they would offer many things. They would offer their livelihood. They would offer their livestock. They would offer even their children. It was quite common in Abraham's day for there to be sacrifice of children, which to us is an abomination. And I might say too, as you read through it in the latter verses, it's an abomination to God as well. But to Abraham, it wouldn't have been a strange thing. He would have heard of it. He possibly would have heard of it. So let's come together and read verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And what did Abraham say? And Abraham said, what did he say? Here I am. Isn't that an amazing statement? When you start to look at the depth of that statement, it's not just a, you know, yeah, I'm over here, or yo, or how are you, or yeah, maybe... It's a very definite, here I am, and it carries beautiful meaning. Some commentators have said this of it. It, it expresses the, the picture of Abraham's heart where he's saying to God, I'm ready to be taught. 
ready to obey, ready to surrender, and I'm ready to be examined by God. Abraham was a man who loved God and God loved him. Abraham was not a a churchgoer. He was not a lukewarm Christian. Abraham was a man, like many of us here, who loved God and God loved him. A man who walked with God, a man who talked with God. He was so convinced of God in his life that it impacted on the way that he spoke to his family. It impacted on the way that he spent his money. It impacted on where he lived and where he didn't live. Abraham was a man who believed God, who had met God and was devoted to him. So much so that the natural resting state of Abraham's heart, when God calls to him, Abraham, he says, here I am. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to be examined. I'm ready to surrender. I'm ready to be taught. It's a beautiful reflection and it it begs that we make an application to it. What's our heart like? When God calls to us in our world today, are we saying to God, God, I'm ready to go, I'm ready to surrender, I'm ready to be taught? Or do we say, Lord, just wait a moment, I'm busy with this thing. Lord, just wait a moment, I've got to finish this off. Lord, I'm busy over here. And we need to have hearts like Abraham had where we're ready to say, Lord, I'm here and I'm ready to be taught, and I'm available to you. And then the shattering news comes to Abraham. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. You notice how God speaks about Isaac? Because at this stage, Abraham had perhaps more than one son, and certainly Ishmael was on the scene. So God makes it very clear to Abraham which son, I've got three sons. And if God said I had to sacrifice one of my sons, it probably would depend on what week it was. It's depending on how <laughs> But God makes it very clear to Abraham which son it is to be. He said to Abraham, take your son, your only son. And in God's eyes, Isaac was the only son, the son of promise. It was a promise by God that he would have a son and not through other means but through Sarah and this beautiful boy Isaac is that gift from God and wrapped up in Isaac are all the wonderful promises that God has made to Abraham and all these wonderful promises will flow over into the nation of Israel and all these wonderful promises will flow through the Old Testament and all these wonderful promises will flow through the Old Testament into our lives today it's amazing the promise that God had made to Abraham and Isaac he is the one that, in a sense, that begins with this precious son that him loved. And he says, take your son, your only whom you love. Isn't it amazing that God would bother putting that in there? Couldn't have God just said, take Isaac and go? But he takes a great deal of time to say, take your only son to remind Abraham of the wonderful promises and faithfulness of God to him. To remind him of how great God's love is for Abraham. And then he says this further thing. Rather than just saying Isaac, he says to Abraham, take the son whom you love. And remember, Isaac is probably 18, 20 years of age. We won't argue over that. So his father and Abraham had walked together for a number of years now. And Abraham and Isaac loved each other. 
and they cared for each other. And God saw that. And I think this is really beautiful because this transcends the picture that we have here of just a father and a son's love. What God is communicating to us is that he loves his son. What he's communicating to us is that he loves us. What he's communicating to us is that he has made promises even as far back as the Garden of Eden that were meant for our blessing, that were meant for our salvation, that were meant to show us that God loves us. Amen? God loves us. Here I am, he said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to a land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I will show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut some wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to a place God had told him. What an amazing story. Can you imagine the heartbreak that Abraham faced when God spoke to him and said, I want you to take your only precious child. The thought of losing a child has struck many of us within our church family. Losing a loved one and the heartache that comes with it. And Abraham was wrestling with this, no doubt. But I don't want you to think that he didn't sleep or that he's rising in the morning was because he couldn't get sleep. Abraham rose early in the morning because he was devoted to the Lord and he was obedient to the Lord and he trusted the Lord and he knew the Lord somehow would provide for him. Abraham rose in the morning, it tells us, and he had servants around him. It strikes me strange that he would cut the wood. He was an elderly man. He had many, many servants. He was very, very wealthy. He had people bring him his food. He had people serve him. But he rose early in the morning and he cut the wood himself. I never did that at work. When I was working in the building trade, if I had young blokes around me, they did everything, and I would just stand back and watch them, mix that, lay that, do this, do that. But the picture we have here is not as a work site. The picture we have here is sanctified and holy, and Abraham has been called to do a great thing. And so it is that he treats that with holiness, and he cuts the wood himself. He calls his son and two of his servants, and they move as God has called them to do. And they went to the place which God had told them. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Three days, you wonder why God didn't just make the mountain near where they were camped, but God chose a mountain that was three days away. And Abraham rode with his son and his two servants for three days. And even when they had traveled for three days, they could still see the mountain from afar. It was Still a long way to go. Imagine how hard that journey would have been for Abraham. At this stage, Isaac was unaware of exactly what was going to happen. The servants certainly wouldn't have been told what was happening. As we look at the text, we see that Sarah wasn't told. The picture we get is that Abraham had received this command from the Lord and he'd taken that to heart and he was ready to obey God in this solemn act. And he went about that. He didn't go and tell a whole tribe. He didn't go and tell all the family. He didn't whistle it from the top of the tree. He just trusted God. And for three days, he walked with his son. Three days, he would have been contemplating what laid before them. Three days, he would have been wondering about what was going to happen in the future. A heavy burden to carry. So Abraham rose early, saddled his donkey, took his two young men, 
And they went to a far place that God had told him. And on the third day, he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come to you again. You see the word worship there? Abraham has been called to sacrifice his son. He's going to a place where he's going to lay wood on his back and the boy is going to carry the wood up to the place and they're going to make an altar and lay that wood on the altar and then they're going to tie Isaac, he's going to tie Isaac up and lay him on the altar. And yet Abraham calls it an act of worship. And I want to suggest to you today that true act of worship comes out of sacrifice. They are interwoven together. We don't get worship without sacrifice. Today when you come to church, what did you come to church for? Did you come to church because mum and dad forced you to come to church? You came to church because you bought a friend or you were bought by a friend? You came to church because that's what you always do? You came to church by accident. I want to talk to you later because there's no accident. God brought you here for, to hear this message and to be a part of our family today. Why did we come to church? Did we come to church to pump our tires up so that we could manage to get through the rest of the week? I want to suggest to you the real reason why we come to church is for sacrifice. It's for sacrifice. Not your sacrifice, not my sacrifice, not the sacrifice of our time or the sacrifice of our gifts or the sacrifice of our money. None of that. I'm talking about we come today to church because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross who paid the price for our sins. And that is the motivation for our worship. That's what energizes our worship. That's what energizes our faith. That's what keeps us from sin as we remember what Christ did for us on the cross and the hope that we have. Amen? Abraham takes his precious son and he puts this big bundle of wood on his back for the offering, he laid it on Isaac according to verse 6. And then he took in his hand the fire and the knife. That must have been heartbreaking to take a knife that has been especially sharpened so that you can offer a sacrifice with as little fuss and as little pain as possible. A knife sharpened to precision that was going to be used to kill his son. As they were moving up the mountain in verse 7, Isaac said to his father, my father, and again he says, here I am. It's a beautiful, faithful response. Here I am, my son. And he said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? I've mentioned to you I've been home caring for my mum. It's hard to answer some questions. And uh, mum's been suffering dementia and I came out into the kitchen one morning early to get a drink of water and mum was in the kitchen looking a bit dazed. And I said, mummy, okay? And she said, I can't find your father. Where's your father? Dad had died four years previous to that. And um, I was standing there thinking, what am I going to say? And before I could say anything, she said, your father's died, hasn't he? I said, yes, mum. And then she asked me how long he'd been dead and I told her four years and... She cried and she made her way back to her bedroom. The only mercy in all that was that in the morning, because of her dementia, she didn't remember that encounter at all, praise God. She got up as cheery and as bright as though it was a new day and uh, we got through that. I imagine when Abraham heard this question from Isaac, where is the lamb? He must have 
Surely it would have caught in his throat. His heart must have tightened and his stomach must have tightened as he said these words to his precious son. Abraham said, and I think he said it not with a choke in his throat, but with great faith, God will provide. Isn't that beautiful? And you know what? God will provide for you too. God sees your life. He sees your heartache. He sees your dilemma. He sees your fear. He sees your struggle. And make no mistake, God has provided for you. Has he not? Has not God provided for us in the past and today? And when we look through the promises of God for how he will provide for us in the future, God will provide. Abraham exclaimed with great faith, and then with this he said to the, his son, he will provide for the offering. And when they came to the place where God had told him, Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood on it in order. And then he bound this 80, 18 to 20 year old man. Abraham's probably 110, could be as old as 125. You must be sort of getting a bit frail by that stage. And yet this strong young man so humbly and so willingly allowed himself to be bound. Years ago when I was home in Perth, we were staying at an uncle's place, my dad and I and mum and the family, and I was young. And uh, dad was probably about 45, 50 at that stage, and he was strong, he was a bricklayer all his life. And a young bloke had broken into dad's ute, and dad loved his ute more than he loved his family. So he had his ute parked outside his bedroom to make sure it didn't get stolen. This young guy, we found out later on, he was only 14 years of age, broke into Dad's ute. And he's in the front seat, rifling through the car when Dad appeared at the door <laughs> and uh, called out to him. The young guy tried to run. Dad got him in a bear hug. And this young fella, maybe through adrenaline, was so strong that he dragged my dad down the driveway on his knees while he had him wrapped in a bear hug and eventually he broke loose of that bear hug and ran off into the night only to be caught by the police later on. We told everybody else that the guy was 35 years old and that he was a bodybuilder, but the truth was he was just a little 14-year-old kid but so pumped full of adrenaline, he was so powerful and so strong. Surely Isaac's adrenaline must have been pumping. Surely I, everything in Isaac's body must have said, please don't let me be bound. Please don't put me on that fire. Please don't offer me as a sacrifice. And yet such was the faith of Abraham and such was the surrender and humility of Isaac. He was willing to be bound and the scriptures show us by not explaining it that Abraham and, uh, sorry, Isaac was willing for that. He didn't resist. He didn't complain. He didn't say, why me? He just obeyed his father. Isn't that amazing? Don't you think? Wouldn't it be good if we were like that? I think of my life and when God calls to me sometimes and asks me to do things, I, I have a long list of why I cannot do that. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said to him again, what did he say? Here I am, Lord. Here I am ready to obey. Here I am to do your will. Here I am to surrender to you. Here I am a willing servant of yours. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Amazing, isn't it? Praise God, because you know God had provided God had a provision, and God has a provision for you as well. 
Seems as though we read the text that Abraham here now, he looks up behind him. Most likely by this stage, Abraham had fallen to his knees, perhaps even on his face as he was worshipping, as he heard the angel call, Abraham, Abraham. And as he lifted up his eyes, he noticed a ram caught in the thicket. Do you know that? And do you know how the ram was caught in the thicket? It was caught by its horns. I heard this explained to me just recently by one of our brothers after the service. And that ram was caught by its horns so that it was not marked or harmed, a perfect sacrifice. Isn't that amazing? And all the time whilst this true story is rolling out and it's building our faith and we're seeing how humble Abraham and Isaac are before the Lord, make no mistake, there is a great light shining down through time to the cross. This beautiful picture of surrender, this beautiful picture of substitution because God did provide. He provided a ram as a substitute for Isaac. Do you see that? And rather than offering Isaac on the altar, he was able to offer the ram because God had provided. Has not God provided for us as well? Has not God provided a sacrifice, a substitute, so that we don't have to suffer the righteous judgment of God? Because does not the word tell us the wages of sin is what? And that we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is not one who is righteous. No, not one. So if you connect the dots, we are all guilty before God. We are all deserving judgment for our sin. And that judgment, according to God's word, is eternal separation from him. Death. Spiritual death. The second death, the Bible calls it. But God, but God... But God has provided a substitute for us. Rather than us suffering the righteous and the right penalty for our sin, God has given us the Lord Jesus Christ, who died the sinless, spotless lamb. Remember how the ram was caught by its horns and therefore unmarked and perfect? Our Savior, who knew no sin, has become sin for us. So let's take a time now to jump out of the Old Testament, just for a moment, as we come to a close. And let's look at this beautiful picture of Jesus Christ and the substitutionary atonement, the theological term, that Jesus Christ is the substitute so that we can be right with God. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin. Jesus, the spotless lamb of God, come from heaven. And unlike us, he knew no sin. He was perfect before God and he willingly surrendered himself to die. He wasn't taken by the horns and dragged onto the altar. He willingly gave himself up so that we could be forgiven. He knew no sin that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Somebody going to say hallelujah? We are now, because of what Jesus Christ has done, if we believed on him and trusted him, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have been forgiven because of his shed blood. And when God looks on us, he doesn't see us as we see ourselves. He sees us as he sees his son spotless and forgiven, redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that a great, great thing? And this is what I mean, that when we come to worship, we don't come to worship to pump our tires. We come to worship to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our behalf. And it drives us to holiness, it drives us to purity, it drives us to faith. And that's why we need to remind us of these things. Christ died on the cross as our substitute 
And without him, we would suffer the death penalty for our own sin. 1 Peter chapter 2, 23 and 24, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. And when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. I, I mentioned this earlier today. I love that part. God is a just judge. Do you know, have you ever been misjudged? We all have, haven't we? And we've all feared being misjudged. We've all feared when we've done something wrong that the penalty that we'll face is harsher than what we feel we should deserve. We're hoping that the person that brings that judgment is a friend and will give us a, a bit of an easy path. And God is a just judge. He never overcooks it. He never undercooks it. He never shows unnecessary favor. He just calls it as it is. And this is the God who has bound himself to us through the Holy Spirit and the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's a wonderful just judge. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Amen. Jesus Christ. Do you remember the picture? You've heard this story. This is why Jesus hung on the tree. Jesus hung on the tree, the righteous son of God, to die in our place. And this is what Peter is saying. Our worship is based in sacrifice. Our holiness comes out of sacrifice. Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Amen. Amen. I want to close with a passage out of Acts chapter 4 today. Because I've been thinking about all of you and how we need to remember. We need to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made on our account. That God has given and that's why we come to worship. Yes, it's nice to be with our friends. Yes, it's nice to sing uplifting and beautiful scriptural songs. Yes, it's wonderful to go through the act of worship. But let us never forget, we come here today to remember that Jesus Christ was the substitute that God gave us so that we would not have to suffer God's wrath, God's penalty, God's just judgment. What a wonderful wonderful feeling that is can do you get a grasp of that i remember being in trouble and my mother saying to me you wait until your father gets home it was a terrifying thing and sometimes he would be late it was so inconsiderate it was like the judgment was waiting to fall and uh, that terrible feeling i used to get and now i remember even though i'm a broken man and i'm often sinful and i fall far short of what i should i'm forgiven not because of what i've done but because of what he has done and I know that when I face him, I will not face him as my judge who will condemn me, but I'll face him as my God who will welcome me in, not because of what I have done, but because of what he has done. Isn't that great news? And when I remember these things as I'm tempted by sin and I remember the sacrifice of my Saviour, I'm not driven to sin, I'm driven to worship. When I go through a struggle and I'm feeling sorry for myself because I've got a broken fingernail, and I believe that God has abandoned me and all of life is coming to a close. And then I remember what Christ has done for me, the sinless lamb of God giving up his life for me 
And not only giving up his life for me, but he is with me present now through the Holy Spirit. And he's made promises to me that he will provide for me in the future. I am driven to worship him. Do you understand? When we suffer loss and we fear for the future, let us run, let us run to him and remember what he's done for us. If you're here today and you've never believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ, this is the time to do that. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12 says this incredible Amazing statement. And there is salvation in no one else. No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is Jesus Christ. He is our saviour. He is our substitute. He's paid the price that we couldn't. And today you can receive him as your Lord and saviour. Today you can ask him to forgive you of your sin. Today you can believe upon him. Because God has given you enough faith to express belief in him. And if you express that belief in him through faith, he has promised that he will indwell you with his spirit and he will make you a child of God. And I can testify to you, it radically changes your life. Certainly it changes your destiny. As he lifts us out of the miry clay and puts our feet on the rock. Would you stand with me for prayer? I wanted to lead you in a prayer just a, a prayer for those of us today whom the Spirit of God has spoken to. This prayer can encompass both believers and unbelievers. Believers like me, they're often got their, fin, their, their feet so deep in sin. Oh yeah, we can talk the talk and we can walk the walk, but the truth is our heart is so far from God and today is the time to come back. For those of you that have never believed, to be able to pray along with me this prayer. Sincerely pray this prayer. It's not just words, but from your heart that you would pray and humble yourself before God and believe upon him. Let's bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you that he died in my place, that I might be forgiven. And I have sinned against you. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and to cleanse me as you have promised. I ask you to take control of my life, to be both my Lord and my Saviour. I want to live for you. I pray that you would receive me as your child. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've prayed that prayer for the first time sincerely today, I want to ask you that you would share that with a person standing beside you, the person that bought you. Perhaps even come and speak to me afterwards and say that's the first time I've prayed that prayer because we want it to not take over your life, but we want to encourage you. We want to give you some scriptures to read. We want to pray for you. And we want to welcome you into the family of God. So it's been lovely to be with you this morning. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Let's uh, worship the Lord in song.